I wanted to comment before I pray, actually, that it's very striking, I think, we're talking about generosity uh, in the midst of our current situation, because we might think we are quite generous until we don't have as much as we thought we had, or when we're under pressure, or we recognise we've not got as much food as we normally have, or our our cupboards are not as stocked as they normally are, Um, and then we might see... Um, something of the state of our hearts and actually whether we're as generous as we thought. Um, so I was just quite struck in pre- prepping this and working through this um, when we look at a passage in um, 2 Corinthians. Um, but in light of our current context, um, I wonder if our current context does reveal something more of um, the, the relative generosity or indeed greed of our own hearts. So let me pray um, and then we'll uh, have a think about it together. Lord, we do. Um, Thank you for this opportunity to virtually gather online together. We thank you for, um, uh, once again as we've prayed many times, we thank you for technology and the way that it can be so helpful. Um, Pray for each of us as we um, engage with this text and we think through um, generosity, we think through the fact that you are a generous God um, and we look into the depths of our own hearts and see how much we've understood that and indeed how much with your help we live that. Um, So be at work, please, even though we're gathered across Oxford. um, Be at work in our own hearts. Um, Help us to glimpse more of your generosity. And help us to, um, with your help, live that, we pray. Uh, Recognising it's just part of the basics of being Christians. Basics of being part of your kingdom. Um, In Jesus' name, Amen. A verse to begin with. Uh, a famous verse that you will be more than aware of but just to um, set the foundation for this topic uh, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life Uh, As we're aware it's a famous verse it's a verse that you might see on placards at sports events all kinds of things I could say about that verse Um, but at this point I want you just to fundamentally notice that God is a giver Ours is a God who gives, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, he, he is a God who gives. He's given us creation and not just a, a boring, dull, grey, drab creation, but there's colour and taste and variety and beauty. And he, he gives us each and every breath. He gives us one more day. He gives us one another. He, he gives us lots and so much more. And supremely we see the fact that he gives, in that he gives us Jesus. Ours is not a stingy God, but rather one who gives us willingly and generously. He gives us all that we need. Even to the extent of the second person of the Trinity taking on flesh, willing to give his all because of his love for his people. And so, if fundamentally God is a God of generosity, if fundamentally our God is one who gives, Well, it shouldn't surprise us to find that his people, people like me and people like you, who who are to show the world something of his beauty, are also called to generosity. It's a basic for Christian living, which is why we're looking at it in this little series that we're doing on Sunday evenings. Now, there's lots we could say, and of course generosity is far more than just money. But it's been striking to me as I prep this week, again and again and again through the whole story of the Bible, you find God talking to his people about money. Money is not something we talk very much about at Magdalen Road. Maybe it should be something we talk about more often. 
Because if God talks about it a lot, then maybe it's something that we need to, to, to be reminded of. Let me give you some examples. So do you remember um, Moses taking the people uh, out of Egypt through the wilderness, edge of the promised land, um, and his final sermon to the people, warning them after he's gone, is this. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. You see, it's hard to remember the Lord when you can trust in what you have. Maybe that's been the challenge for us during this um, very strange COVID season. Maybe where we have been protected, where we have savings or we have money or we have um, cupboards that are full, um, maybe as we're having less of that, then we recognise that we're not as strong as we thought we were. Money can protect us in some ways from the brokenness and the messiness of the world, but in return... Um, so often, the money that we, we store away, that we squirrel away in barns, it, it begs for our allegiance. It sucks away our generosity. We'll move on from Moses. Think about Jesus again and again and again, perhaps more often than we would realise. He highlights the dangers and the deceitfulness of money and wealth. I take it he does that because it, it's a real matter of discipleship. It's a window into what we really care about. He, he, says, he says to us, Um, Friends, you can't serve God and money, but a little voice in my heart says, well, I'll give it a go though. Or he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we say, I think I'll be alright, thank you. We must take care. If we struggle to be generous, if we might be stingy at heart, maybe money has got its claws into us and into our hearts. I've mentioned it before, but but thinking about COVID-19, you've got people who are literally buying extra fridges. And there are, there's stockpiling. And the weeks gone by, at least, there have been riots at the supermarkets. I wonder if we were people who are supremely greedy, who supremely look after number one, who, who are not as generous as we ought to be. And this whole context and situation is showing us something of that. It's revealing something of what our hearts are like. Something of the grip that money might have on us. I've uh, I said this before at Morden Road, but um, very striking comments from um, Tim Keller, uh, ministering over in New York, regarding greed. He was doing a, a series on the seven deadly sins, um, men's breakfast, month by month by month, picking each one. And his wife says to him, his wife Kathy says, I bet that the week you deal with greed will be the lowest attendance. And she was completely right. Um, Believe it or not, it was packed out for lust and wrath and even for pride. But no one thinks they're greedy. He says this, As a pastor, I've I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Except, I can't recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul and people around me. Greed hides itself. From, its, from the victim. Its, its modus operandi is to, to make us blind to our own hearts. I just wonder if COVID-19 is helping us to see a little bit more of our hearts. So we're going to find ourselves in um, at 2 Corinthians this evening. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's a purple passage on generosity and on giving. Just the basic nature of what it means to be a Christian and that we are to be those who, like our Father in Heaven, are those who give. 
And Paul writes to them, talking to them about giving, and about giving thanks as well. We're going to focus just on the giving, though, and generosity. Actually, all of chapters 8 and, eight and 9 is really helpful stuff to instruct us on generosity. Um, we're going to dig deep into 9, verse 6 to 15, partly because, having looked at the church website um, this last week or so, we've not actually covered these verses thoroughly before. Um, we did preach through 2 Corinthians uh, two and a half years ago, and we slightly skated over these verses Um, because it was a long section that they were a part of, so I just thought maybe um, we would slow right down in these verses for tonight, um, give us a chance to chew them over and get to grips with them. As I say, it would be helpful to to read all of 8 and 9 at some other point, um, but we're just going to focus in on uh, 9 verse 6 to 15 this evening. Um, A bit of background. Um, As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he's writing into quite a specific situation, I hope what we'll see, though, is even though this was a specific situation, a specific context, there are principles and ideas that are wide and universal and helpful for us. They are relevant to me and they are relevant to you as we think about our relationship with money and with generosity. Um, What is the narrow situation that Paul is writing about or talking about? Uh, He's gathering a collection. Um, He's not explicit about what that collection is in, in Corinthians. I think it's the same one that you read of in Romans 15. It's a a collection for the Jerusalem church. It's a huge town. Um, It's an important church, but pretty much from day one, the church in Jerusalem has had to deal with issues of poverty. Um, Partly that's been due to uh, persecution and exclusion from different Jewish factions. They they bore the brunt of much oppression um, as they uh, stood out for Jesus. But in particular as well, there are issues of famine going on. Um, in Jerusalem, and so the story seems to be that from from First Corinthians, Paul um, writes to them asking for money um, for the church in Jerusalem, and there's this flurry of excitement. Um, but maybe it seems that their interest has waned a bit, or at least that's his concern. You know, it's when um, someone comes and gives you a pitch for something, and you're excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. I'll give to that. Um, but maybe there. Uh, a month later, when actually it comes to writing the direct debit or writing the cheque, then you're not quite so sure. Um, and so you'll see in the next chapter, actually, Paul will send a crew to gather and transport this collection to where it's needed. Um, so over in chapter 9, verse 3, in order that our boasting to you about, about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but you may be ready, as I said it would be. So maybe there's a question mark if they'll follow through or not. Um, so let's jump into the text. Let me read it for us. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, and I'll read it from verse 6 through to verse 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Um, Let me just try and pull up uh, something as well. So I'm going to, uh, on the chat function here, give you, if I can, my outline, um, rather than having PowerPoint. Uh, That's my outline I'm going for. Uh, Can everyone see that? Give me a wave if you can, if you've got video. Yeah, thank you. Um, Let me, I'll leave that up there just because I'm going to be using my screen here. Um, uh, so we are to give generously first point so verse 6 remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously Um, and it's a verse from the agricultural realm that Paul is digging into but it's a surprising tact for him to take why is that? because he seems to be condoning the idea that you give in order to receive do you see that? problematic isn't it you sow generously and you will also reap generously and vice versa so what's going on is is Paul the manipulative televangelist here urging us to to give to their international ministry that we might get stuff back from God um, again there's been quite a bit of that unpleasantly at this time of COVID-19 as well which is very sad um, I don't think that's what's going on at all and we'll see why in a bit but I think it much more of what's in mind as Paul um, uses this agricultural idea are the parables of Jesus maybe the, the unfaithful steward who doesn't use the gifts that God has given do you remember he doesn't use them for the good of the kingdom he, he, he squirrels them away and then does nothing with them and gives them back as opposed to the one who does faithfully use his gifts he stewards his gifts well and is rewarded for that with what? with more service and more opportunities for service um, more on that in a bit but again maybe we just ought to press pause and consider verse 6 by itself at this point how how much do we sow how much do we use the gifts he's given us for his kingdom not necessarily talking financial here but how much do, do we hide away the things that he gives us um, a good question might be as we bat around some ideas afterwards is how can we use them well now now that we're in isolation and lockdown what does it mean to serve at this point when we're not meeting on a Sunday, when we're not able to, to be with each other in the same way as we have been before? Um, we've got various rotors and opportunities for people to serve, particularly those who are struggling or more vulnerable. And yet actually doing that is quite a difficult thing, isn't it? But if we're to steward and to use the things that God has given us well, what does that look like in this season? And maybe we'll chat about this um, after I've preached. Uh, Paul progresses then and he seems to be both engaging with some of our responses to the topic of giving but I think as well he wants to expand our concept of giving and generosity too. I don't know about you but my first response to the idea of being generous is that very often we can feel guilted into doing it. Don't you feel that? Maybe you're walking through town and someone comes and tries to, to nab you and grab you those chuggers I believe they're called charity muggers or someone comes and shakes a and thing of coins in front of you, and you feel guilted into giving. Um, you feel ashamed if you don't. But Paul says, no, that's not the way he's doing it at all. And it's verse 7, it's not through arm twisting. And maybe you can see that on the outline there. 
No, we're not to reluctantly or under compulsion or in a bullying way give, but rather we're to give as cheerful givers. You know, any any preacher or teacher um, can stand up and make you feel bad for spending your money on the wrong things or for sowing sparingly, verse 6. And yet the attitude we're to have is, is giving is a privilege. We're to cheerfully give, we're to generously give because we, we love the Lord, we love his people, we, we love that opportunity to be part of something bigger. In the context here in the passage, it's to care for other believers who are suffering under famine, brothers and sisters who are struggling, brothers and sisters indeed who may be um, fearing for their lives. Again, I don't know what that might translate to for us, whether individuals or projects, whether local or international, maybe because of COVID-19 or, or maybe wider than that, maybe more than just our current season. But we're called to give generously and cheerfully. It's a privilege um, to be those who give. It's a privilege to support others, to, to steward the things well that God has given us. Not, not through arm twisting and guilt, but cheerfully, in kindness and generosity. Um, the second response that we might have be, well, okay, Paul, I hear the fact that we're to be generous, but does God want me to live in poverty? Again, I've heard that uh, before from perhaps folk who aren't part of churches, and they say, well, shouldn't you just be giving all, away all your money? Isn't that something that God would want? You can just give it away and be generous. I don't think that's what's going on again. Let's have a careful look at verse 8 to 10. Um, so it's not, so you're left as paupers. Have a look down at verse 8. Um, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's an idea of God blessing us abundantly. Do you see? All, all things, all times, all we need, every good work. Now, again, we need to be careful here. This is just the kind of verse where people get muddled um, and, and people have used verses to manipulate others. Think of um, prosperity theology, Think of sometimes word of faith theology it's called. and It's dangerous. Paul is not saying give to support the famine and God will give you a new car or a new house or the job that you've always dreamed of. No, he's talking about what we need for life and godliness, what we need to live to please him and, and abound in every good work. He is the God who equips us and, and gives us what we need to live for him. He's not talking about extravagance. In fact, the extravagance he's talking about is to abound in every good work. To be able to serve generously. Again, verse 10, he's the one who supplies the seed for the sower. We, we use it and more comes back. He, he will increase our store of seed. Use the gifts that God gives you for his kingdom. And he'll give you more things to use for him and his kingdom. It's not give so that we might get and be selfish. It's give so that we might receive and give and keep giving and keep giving. Again, it's the faithful steward that we spoke of before with Jesus. Prove your faithfulness and generosity with little and he will give you more to be faithful and generous with. Yeah, maybe an opportunity to press pause. Think through... What that might mean for us, we will one day have to stand before the Lord as his loved and forgiven children. Um, his were adopted, but answering for how we've used his gifts. 
whether whether financial or whatever, have we hoarded or stewarded the the money he entrusted to us, the opportunities, the gifts, the talents, the ways in which he's blessed us. Not to try and guilt us, but maybe we need to ask, what do we spend our money on? What about our time? What about our talents? Are we stewarding the things that he's given us in a way that would please him? Or are we stewarding them selfishly? And he doesn't want us to be paupers, but on the other side, we're not giving as if God is some sort of vending machine. You put your money in and out comes a can of Coke. It's not that at all. So verse 11a, not so you're now rolling in it. If you see the outline there. Start of verse 11 is important, I think. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's striking. Do you see why God will provide for us? It's so that we can then be generous. This is not the idea of us giving so God will give us the readies and give us the stuff that we want. No, it's it's very countercultural. This is we are generous with what he's given us, so God gives us more so that we can be even more generous with what he's given us. I think sometimes we shy away from this kind of idea. We shy away from passages like this because of the way they can be abused by other churches sometimes or other prosperity preachers. But actually I think there's a really important thing here. Of course, it's his in the first place. It's all his. When we show we can be generous with it, he'll give more that we might be even more generous. I think that's what the passage is saying. The problem in our culture is we are obsessed with saving, with stockpiling, with extra freezers. And there is a place for saving. Paul seems to save at certain times. So he could, he could live off those savings at other times. But that seems to be the exception rather than the rule. Generosity ought to be the norm. Look at the outworking then from 11b through to 13. Look where this kind of generous giving goes. Our next point on your outline there. Not simply an isolated, private incident. It's striking. The, The act of giving, says Paul, has implications. That is, as people see your generosity... Well, they then praise God, verse 11. You see, generosity has a kind of knock-on effect. No doubt in terms of being an example for others, but also in terms of praising God as they see his work in the lives of others. It's, it's there in verse 12. Your gift, Corinthians, is not only supplying actual needs, but it's fueling praise too. Imagine the scene. Imagine... Maybe the church in Laodicea hears about the Corinthian generosity and so their prayer meeting is full of praise to God for his work in and through the Corinthians. Another church, seeing the generosity of another church, means that they give thanks to God. I was thinking about this and I think we've experienced something of this as a church um, at Magdalen Road as we've purchased the old schoolhouse. A massive encouragement for us has been other gospel churches partnering with us. Other gospel churches who have who have been generous in helping us to acquire the building. Churches from um, Anglican background, um, Baptists, Pentecostals, Independents, all around Oxford, all around the world, using their 
using their money for this kingdom project. And we have praised God because of them. It's been genuinely humbling. There's still a way to go, of course. We still need to develop the thing. And we currently can't get into it because of um, being on lockdown. But as the song goes, it is grace that's brought us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. We have seen the generosity of churches and we have praised God because of their generosity. Money's a complicated topic, isn't it? Maybe that's why Jesus spoke on it so much. Maybe maybe we do have a blind spot in our hearts towards our money, greed and generosity. Paul seems to know that. And so he says we're to give generously but not through arm twisting, verse 7, rather be cheerful. Not so that you're left as paupers, verse 8 to 10, no, rather so you'll have what we need. Verse 11a, not so you're now rolling in it, but so we can be generous to others. Verse 11b, not simply as an isolated private incident, but so others hear and praise God. And there's lots of nots. There's lots of how not to do it. If you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, how can we give generously? How are we to do this? Because I I think I can be so stingy at times. I can find myself not generous, not wanting to part with my money. Indeed, at times forgetting it's it's his money and thinking it's my money to do with it as I want. Well, Paul finishes off in verse 14 to 15 and even though it's in our translation just two sentences, I want to slow right down. Because I think in them we have the key to generosity. We have the key to generosity. You see, why are we to give generously? Well, because he has given generously to us. Verse 14, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, our God is a God who gives. And so, do you want to know the answer to to our stinginess? The antidote to our greed, perhaps? Paul says, look at the cross. Well, as he puts it there in verse 15, look at his indescribable gift. Because it's when we see how much he gave up for us, it's when we see his extraordinary generosity, his son dying in our place, that we realise how loved we are. That's actually how he starts off this section. Again, I would encourage you to go and read chapter 8 as well, because there's some um, very interesting motivations for giving that Paul will unpick there too. Um, but it's actually how he started off this section. Flick back to the start of um, chapter 8 and verse 9. Um, for you know, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now in the original language, the Greek emphasis in the sentence Um, in verse 9, is for you. For you, he became poor, being rich. It's profoundly personal, Christian. For for you, for you, Jesus, the richest man in all the world, in all of history, became poor. And he was the richest man in all the world. He, In a sense, he had everything, all the angels of heaven to adore him, as, as Isaiah tells us, continually bowing down, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and yet... Yet he he lays it aside and he becomes poor, scorned, mocked. And so came to be the one of whom Isaiah would later write, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. Just see the contrast between the start of Isaiah chapter 6 and then get through to the suffering servant and you see, you see how much Jesus gives up for us because of his love for us. He was the one who had everything. All things were made through him and for him by him and yet when he takes on a body it could be said of him that he had no place to lay his head they had to borrow a manger in which to lay him down as a baby and borrow a tomb in which to lay him down as he died and they all left him deserted by all his friends terribly alone he was he was rich and yet for our sakes he entered into the poverty of taking on human flesh and he, and he held nothing back, not even a breath. Which means that there on the hill on the cross as a man he poured out everything he had. All that was his, all that he could call his own given for us. John, the Gospel writer, puts it beautifully in his Gospel verse, at chapter 13 and verse 1 full of a phrase full of depth and beauty. But Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's giving, isn't it? No, no reserves, no half measures, no conditions, no holding back. Pouring out everything he had. Pouring out everything that was needed. For us he became poor. Why? Because of our sin. The way in which rather than loving and following and worshipping the God who made us, it's all about created things. We love the gifts rather than the one who gave them. But in the cross he deals with our greed. Because of his grace and kindness, because he's the God who loves to give us gifts and to lavish his love upon his people for For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And so it's because of the grace of Jesus that we're able to know him again. That we, despite our poverty, can be truly rich. Rich rich in the ways that matter. Not in money or stuff or things, but rather as we know the God who made us. And And you see, when we reflect upon this indescribable gift, verse 15, when we grasp his incredible grace shown to us, when we understand, first of all, his generosity for us, his his not holding back in anything we need, however costly, however painful, then I wonder if our hearts will just become a bit more generous. Then we will be the people who, who give because we see what he's given us. It was Billy Graham, apparently, who, who said, and I love this, he said, we were not meant to be systems made for hoarding. We are channels made for sharing. Do you see, the problem is, though, we're like Gollum. We, we hold on to our precious things. We're not prepared to pour ourselves out. And we forget that they are from God. We forget that he's given them to us and we're to steward them. And so maybe the antidote to our stinginess is to recognise God's incredible generosity 
and to revel in that. Let me pray. Then we will um, sing a couple of songs separately but together. Um, and then maybe we'll pray in a group as well. But let me do this in prayer now. Father in heaven, we're sorry for the way in which because we've heard this story before it doesn't affect us as it ought and so we pray that you might help us to see more of your generosity and love and grace and that it wouldn't just be an idea in our heads but actually it would shape our hearts and it would make us generous because we see that you are a God who is generous a God who loves to give help us to work out what it means for us to be generous at this time It's an unusual time. Help us to be those who who give because you have first given to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.